Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Dr. E.J. McKenzie on Blog Talk Radio. Monday evening at 6 p.m. We pray that your day has found uh, you favorable, and I pray that you found your day favorable. Since you and I have been, has been reconciled in harmony and favor with the Father, so therefore we can walk in the favor of God, and we have the authority and the power to take dominion over God's creation and bring it in alignment with the favor of God or with God himself. That's our responsibility as men and women of the Most High God. I want to continue uh, in the vein uh, that we were in on last week, uh, sharing from the perspective of um, uh, the righteousness of God, reconciliation uh, from that perspective. And the reason is that, ladies and gentlemen, because I believe that if you and I can ever uh, allow this to become a reality to us, we will experience greater levels of victory in every area of our lives. So I want to look at something this, uh, today before I start. I want to look at two words I think that will help us to understand this. Because I think one of, one of the tricks in the manipulation, uh, some of you all probably is struggling uh, with this because it may sound like the doctrine of uh, inclusion that we, you know, uh, uh, became um, very apparent to the body of Christ many years ago. One of our great leaders um, in the body of Christ that failed with this uh, gospel inclusion uh, or were manipulated with the gospel inclusion. Now, from understanding gospel inclusion, simply uh, uh, from understanding uh, the uh, gospel or the doctrine of inclusion is that uh, God loves everybody and uh, everyone uh, uh, will be saved and no one will go to hell because there is no hell. And if how could a loving God uh, send someone to a tormenting uh, place? And uh, that's from understanding the essence of the gospel of inclusion. But I want to look at something concerning righteousness. But when we're talking about righteousness, we're not talking about uh, even though Jesus died for the sin of the world, the Scripture says, the Bible clearly says he died for the sin of the world. Uh, he didn't die for the church. Uh, he didn't die for uh, the Jews. He died uh, for the sin of the world. And so uh, we see that in the Word of the Lord. We brought quite a few Scriptures out on last week uh, showing you that Jesus really did conquer sin. Uh, we showed you in the word of the Lord how sin entered into the world. Uh, it entered in a place that it was not. That's why Scripture said, by one man sin entered into the world. So sin was present, but it was not present in this world uh, or manifested in this world. So by one man it entered in, and then Scripture clearly says, by one man righteousness entered in. So, uh, it may appear because Jesus has conquered sin and uh, has forgiven all humanity of their sin. That is a reality. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as the one man sin, uh, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Now, this is good here because I want to, show you how that happened, how that took place. Uh, uh, from a theological perspective, there's two words uh, that I want to share with you as we continue on tonight. It's going to help us to understand this and embrace it. And once we embrace it, we'll we'll know how to battle in a greater way. We're not a war in a greater way. We're not a, we will know how to do spiritual warfare uh, in a greater way. Let me read uh, verse 15 of Romans 5. I re just finished reading verse 12. Verse 15 says, But the free gift is not like the offense. 
For if by the one man's offense many die, much more the grace of God and the gift by which uh, the grace uh, of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. So we see here, uh, once again, by one man sin enter into, by one man righteousness uh, enter into the world. Now, let's look at two words uh, that's going to help us to kind of understand this uh, in a greater way. And the two words we want to look at today is the word impute and the word impart. Uh, and and that will help bring balance. And so we won't get confused and mixed up and think that this is the gospel of inclusion. Now, one or two things, either Jesus did die for the sin of the world, he didn't. And, I mean, we got tons of scriptures uh, uh, in the New Testament that validates this. And the majority of them is Paul's letters, but Peter as well and John as well uh, validates these these principles of Jesus himself dying for the sin of the world. Now, let me give you the definition of the word impute, and that will kind of help you understand how all men uh, sin, according to what we just read earlier, that... Um, uh, by one man's sin fell upon every man, verse 12, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as though through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus uh, death spread to all men. Death spread to all men because all sin. But all sin, even before they was conceived in their mother's womb, from God's perspective, all men sin. The moment Adam sinned, all men sinned. So how's that? Well, these two words uh, I want to uh, give you a definition of. Uh, the first word is impute. Uh, the word impute means to attribute to a source, to attribute to a source or cause, to attribute to a source or call. The second definition of the word impute is to credit to a person or a cause, to credit, to credit. Now, remember uh, uh, concerning Abraham, and the, uh, the scripture says Abraham believed God and was accounted to him, or we can use the word accounted or credited to him for righteousness. It was accredited to him for righteousness. It's obedience. Abraham believed God, and how do we know he believed God? Because he obeyed God. And he obeyed God, and the scripture said it was accredited to him Accounted to him for righteousness. Or we even use the word attributed to him for righteousness. So that's the word impute. Uh, and I thought it was fascinating. Now, this definition is uh, uh, out of the English dictionary. Uh, it says, the theology, uh, a strive, righteousness, guilt, etc. We don't want to focus on guilt because we're talking about uh, more of the righteousness of God today. Now, righteousness, the, theology of the, theology ascribed. It means um, righteousness uh, to someone, ascribed, righteousness ascribed to someone by virtue of a similar quality in another. And it goes on to say, in this English definition, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. Now, this is an English, uh, English dictionary. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. But I think the beautiful part of this definition is, is righteousness uh, no, to someone by virtue of a similar quality in another. See, righteousness could not have been imputed to us if someone didn't have it. So remember, Jesus took what? The sin of the world upon him. He took what? The sin of the world upon him. And the scripture clearly tells us that he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. So he could not have give us some, given us something that, we did, uh, uh, that he did not have. Just like sin. When Adam sinned, Sin was imputed to all of us because all of us was in the loins of Adam. So the moment Adam sinned, every sperm, 
everything in his body died and became sinful. So sin was imputed. So God just took what the devil did, meant for evil, and God has turned it around for good. So what happens now, every person, before I get to every person, when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he took every person's sin. When he rose, he imputed righteousness, gave righteousness to the world. He gave righteousness to the world when he rose from the dead. He took our sins on the cross, but he rose without our righteousness. Let's say it this way. Let's say it, say it with me. He took my sin, and he rose with my righteousness. And that's every human being, every human being on the face of the earth. So you, you, you may ask the question, well, is every human being righteous? No, I didn't say that. Righteousness has been provided for every human being upon the face of this earth. Everybody. From God's perspective, righteousness has been given to everyone. I didn't say everyone has received it. In order for a person to uh, experience and receive this righteousness, they must accept the sacrifice. Christ is that sacrifice. So, once again, the word impute means to strive to a source, a cause. So who is the source of righteousness? Christ. Who is the cause of righteousness? The Father. So another definition is to credit to a person or a cause. To credit to a person or a cause. Righteousness. So the moment you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Father made you righteous. The Father made me righteous. Now notice, did I do anything? Did I fast and pray for it? No. What did I do? I accepted a person. I embraced a person. I received a person. But who's that person? Christ. And when you receive Christ, everything that Christ is comes along with the package. Everything comes along with the package. Receive Christ, you receive everything that Christ is. I'll give an example. Uh, some of you all that's uh, have joined us on this broadcast may like uh, mixed uh, nuts. Uh, when you have mixed nuts, what you have, uh, peanuts, which you use the majority, uh, probably 50% of the can is peanuts. You got peanuts, you have what, cashews, you have pecans, you have what, almonds, Brazil nuts, and maybe something else. That's used in mixed nuts. I don't really uh, buy mixed nuts. But you got a variety of nuts in when you buy a can of mixed nuts. All in that one can. You buy the can, you get everything that's in the can. You get the peanuts, the pecans, you get the almonds, you get the cashews, you get pistachio, I don't know if pistachio one that's coming in there. So you, you got all of these nuts in one can. So when you see, receive Christ, you receive everything that Christ is. What is Christ? Divine help. What is Christ? Love. What is Christ? Peace. What is Christ? Joy. What is Christ? The essence of all faith. What is Christ? Temperance. Self-control. What is Christ? Patience. Goodness. Kindness. Gentleness. Humility. Compassion. Wisdom. Righteousness. Sanctification. He is our redeemer. He's our restoration. He's our reconciliation. He's our unity. So when I receive Christ, I receive everything. Everything. Now, if I read this, up, get this other definition. Now, I need to, this. This is where it brings balance. Because when we listen to this and say, oh, man, praise God, I'm the righteous of Christ. Praise God, hallelujah. You absolutely, you should be rejoicing. You really should. You should be rejoicing because as we continue to tonight, we're going to show you if when you embrace righteousness, uh, uh, every enemy got to bow to you. Every enemy of God, every enemy of Christ got to bow to you. Every enemy of Christ, every enemy of God, every enemy of the kingdom, every enemy of the Holy Spirit got to loose you and let you go. 
because they have no right. Because you've been made righteous. You have been made righteous. Now, that's what we call imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Now, we understand this, that the moment you receive Christ, Christ's righteousness or God's righteousness, which was in Christ, now is on the inside of you. But how the enemy gets over on the average born-again believer is our ignorance. My people is destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. My people is destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. So I want to ask you this question. Have your spouse confessed Christ? Then they're righteous. Have your children confessed Christ? Oh, I don't want you to say, use the word confess Christ. Receive Christ. Then they've received righteousness. Now, else that have not received righteousness. Are they righteous? They are righteous from God's perspective. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by it. Because he died for the sin of what? The world. When he died for the sin of the world, did Jesus conquer sin? Absolutely. Did he conquer, if he conquered sin, he conquered sin all over the world. So therefore, righteousness, once again, has been provided. You said, but my husband's not confessing to be a Christian. Okay, let's look at the scripture here. Uh, and that's fine. But I personally believe if we, you and I really understood this that, and understood our responsibility to this, I personally believe that it's only a matter of time that your husband who is a wife who is not confessing to be a born-again believer will become a born-again believer. The Scripture clearly tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And believe not what? Righteousness has been provided for them. Love has been provided for them. Health has been provided for them. Wealth has been provided for them. And all of that is in one package. All of it comes with the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross itself, ladies and gentlemen, conquered everything that entered into the world before Adam sinned. The resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, restored everything from God's perspective back to his original state and even greater. And that's the reason I say greater is because uh, Jesus died to sin and he died no more. Jesus can never die to sin again. He would never and can never die to sin again. He died to sin one time and once only. Hebrews tells us that. That's why I say I believe that the resurrection is greater, put us in a position that is greater than it was with Adam before he sinned because of that sacrifice and the resurrection. The resurrection restores us to our rightful place in God. And that's what, what I love about this thing, ladies and gentlemen. Before Adam sinned, there was not a necessity of, of shedding of blood. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, because there was no sin. That's why there wasn't a necessity for any sacrifice. There wasn't a necessity for anything, because Adam had not sinned. So since Adam had not sinned, there was no sin here. But the scripture clearly says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So when sin came, blood had to be shared. Are you getting this? And when you get a chance, do a study on the atonement, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Jews believe that on the Day of Atonement, when their sins was atoned, there was an open heaven over their life for one full year until the next year of the Day of Atonement. And that's why they, they, their Jews is bold, they're courageous, because they believe it. They believe it. And so... So because they're righteous, because of the shedding of the blood, well, they, you know, those that don't believe in Christ, but they blood sacrifice, then they understand that God literally has forgiven them. They believe in the word of the Lord, those Psalms. When David said, blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute a sin, they believe that. And they walk in there. And Jewish, the Jewish people, you know, they're some of the most prosperous people on the face of almost everything they had in touch. Turns into gold. You want to know something? 
you and I have up, up under a new and a better covenant. And everything our hand touches should turn into gold. But the problem is the Jews believe it and we don't. And we got a, we're up under a better covenant, a new and better covenant because of the shedding of Christ's blood. And that blood, ladies and gentlemen, will be before God's throne throughout eternity. It'll be before God's throne throughout eternity. When Jesus rose from the dead and and uh, entered back into his body, and when the young ladies came to the tomb to see him, um, was Mary or Martha, and he said, touch me not, for I have not ascended to my father, she could not touch him because she would have contaminated him. She would have contaminated him. So he had to ascend to the Father for what reason? He had to send and take his blood there. And he pour, had to pour his blood before the altar, just like the high priest in the Old Testament could not go into the Holy of Holies without blood. Jesus could not enter into the Holy of Holies or the presence of God without blood. His blood came, he poured his blood out before the throne. It's an eternal reminder. It's an eternal reminder that sin has been conquered, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I tell you, when I think about it, it's just so powerful uh, that sin really has been conquered. Jesus really did conquer sin through his death and his resurrection. Your sin, my sin, every human being upon the face of the earth. But Satan manipulates. He manipulates ignorance. And the God, once again, Second Corinthians 4 and 4, so the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not least the glorious light of the gospel will shine unto them. So he, he knows that. He understands that. So he knows if I just keep you blind, and not only the, uh, the sinners but the Christians, if I just keep you blind, if I just keep you ignorant, if I just keep you constantly repenting of your sin and repenting, 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 instead of asking God one time, believing that if you ask him one time, Forgive me from your heart. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a reality. It's a reality. But I'm going to tell you what messes us up. You hear me say this all the time. I'm going to keep on reiterating it until we get it. What messes us up is our feelings and our emotions. We don't feel forgiven. We don't feel like we've been cleansed. We don't feel like we've been washed. And that's why. And so we're dominated by our feelings. We're dominated by our emotions instead of walking in the strength and the power of the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that blood, ladies and gentlemen, once again, is throughout eternity. It's throughout eternity. Now, we gave you the definition of the word impute. Impute is, and once again, uh, to attribute to a source or cause. To a source or cause. The source of our righteousness is Christ. The cause of our righteousness is God himself. Then it goes on to say to credit to a person. To credit to a person or a cause. That's, in what, that's, the, that's the theological perspective of imputed righteousness or anything that's imputed. it got to come from a source. God is the source of all righteousness. God is the source of all things. And he administered everything to us through Christ. Now, here's another word that's very important. We've got impute and now impart. When I became a very young Christian, God brought these to me, helped me to really understand. I believe this will help you with your faith walk as well. you got to impute. Righteousness was imputed. When was righteousness imputed to you? The moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, what's the word in part? In part means to make known that which was disclosed or that which is disclosed. Provide a particular quality of or character. Now, this is, this is what now makes me responsible. See, it's just not saying, I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That's imputed. By me saying I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but there is that righteousness is not being made known to anyone, then the imputed righteousness does me no good. 
if the imputed righteousness is not made manifest. So now this righteousness that I have received is on the inside of me. I got to make that righteousness known. How do I make that righteousness known, the imputed righteousness to become imparted righteousness? How do I make that known? Obeying the word, being a doer of the word. When I obey him, what happens, ladies and gentlemen, Christ that is in me now begins to be made manifest through me. So you got the imputed righteousness. Now righteousness has to be imparted. Now think about it. Notice what the scripture says in First, Second Corinthians five eighteen. Notice what it says now. Let's break this imputed and imparted down from Second Corinthians five eighteen and nineteen. Verse eighteen says, "But all things are from God. All things are from who? God, who through Jesus Christ did what." Reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself. He turns around and gives us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. First thing he does, he brings me into harmony with him. How does he bring me into harmony with him? Forgiving me of my sins and imputing Christ's righteousness in me. So I embrace Christ's death. Then I embrace Christ's resurrection. Christ's death, by me embracing Christ's death, it removes sin from me. By me embracing Christ's resurrection, righteousness is imputed to me. And righteousness brings me back into harmony and brings me back into favor with God. What caused me to be an enemy of God was sin. So therefore, sin has been removed. I've been brought back into harmony and favor with God by receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, receiving that sacrifice. I've been brought back in harmony and favor with him. He said, now, this is what you need to do. Righteousness has been imputed to you. Now, I've given you a ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. And think about it. How can we bring others into harmony with him if you and I is not in harmony with him? So he imputed righteousness for what reason, ladies and gentlemen? So you and I can impart righteousness. Now, remember the definition to attribute to a source, a cause, to credit to a person or a cause. Now, who is the source of all righteousness? God. Who's the cause of all righteousness? Christ. Well, I can say Christ is the source for us and God's the cause. He turns around and makes you and I an instrument of source. Christ is the source of righteousness of the people in us. In us, then through us. Are you getting this? It's very important that we understand this, ladies and gentlemen. And 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 now, I don't have to be manipulated, tricked, or I don't go to the extreme. So I'm the righteous of God. I don't have to do anything. I, I'm, I'm I'm righteous. Then what good is your righteousness if it's not to aim to bring others into harmony and favor with God? Then your righteousness. And my righteousness is absolutely no good. Let's read verse 19. It was God, personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. How did he do that? Not counting up and holding against men their transgressions, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration to favor. How do we do that? Same thing, ladies and gentlemen. Not imputing. I want to use the word not imputing because you don't say impute here in the Amplified Version. Not counting up and holding against men their transgressions. And I know it's kind of difficult. When somebody you care for, someone you have high expectations from, violate you. 
hurt you and wound you. But how could they ever get saved? If they don't see the great harm that they did towards you, and you turn around and cancel their transgression, and you turn around and minister a word and do a deed of reconciliation, that's going to allow them to see Jesus. That's going to let them know you got something that he, he or she don't have. And they acknowledge, I need that. I know you say because ain't no way in the world you would have done this. But it must become a reality to us. It must become a reality to us. Let me read a scripture, if you will, in 1 John. Listen to the scripture in 1 John, if you will. And and if you and I understand that was God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, is Christ on the inside of us at this present time reconciling, uh, uh, manifesting or demonstrating reconciliation through us? Ladies and gentlemen, the only way that can be done, the Father had to pay no attention to your sin and my sin. He had to pay no attention to the world. He had to focus on restoring the world or redeeming the world and not focus on the world's sin but focus on the sacrifice to to forgive the world of their sin. You and I got to have that same mentality. When somebody hurt us, wound us, lie against us, violate us, do us wrong, steal from us. You got to see the bigger picture, ladies and gentlemen. The bigger picture is uh, there is an enemy that is manipulating those people. And when we forgive those people, what it does, it cuts sin off. It cuts sin off of having a right to them because you forgave them of their sin. You forgave them of the thing that they did towards you because God really was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus really did conquer sin. He really did defeat sin. And when you and I forgive people, we just defeated sin. We just defeated sin in that person. Whatever the sin was that that person did towards you and I, when we forgive them, sin, the defeat of sin was manifested through us by forgiving. By forgiving. And now we deliver that person out of the hands of Satan and deliver that person to the hands of God. And now the Holy Spirit can work the works of Christ in that person who you and I forgave. Now the Holy Spirit can begin to work the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in that person because we forgave them from our heart. Are you getting this? Notice what 1 John says to you, 1 John chapter 2, starting verse 1. My little children, I write to you these things so that you may not violate God's law and sin. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate, one who will intercede for us with the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, the what? The all-righteous, upright, just, who conforms to the Father's will, in every purpose, in every thought, in every action. Now, that, that, that's, that's so powerful right by itself. Because the reason I'm putting emphasis on that, notice, Jesus the advocate, one who intercedes for us with the Father, it is Jesus Christ, the old the all-righteous. He's what? The all-righteous. Now, this is who you and I received. This is who you and I received. When you receive Jesus, you receive the all-righteous one. When you receive Jesus, you receive the upright one. When you receive Jesus, you receive the just one. When you receive Jesus, you receive the one who conforms 
to the Father's will in every purpose. In what? Every purpose. Every thought and action. I'm trying to show you something. Everything that Christ is, you and I are. But you know what your problem is? And the majority of us, you don't receive that. You say, how in the world could I be the uh, be what Christ is? Because I messed up all these thoughts in my mind. I get attitudes from time to time. Because you're measuring yourself with Jesus. And what you don't have not done, when you do that, you have embraced Jesus. You're embracing yourself. Romans 7 is beautiful when Paul talks about the thing I want to do, I find myself not doing it. And what I uh, 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 don't want to do, I find myself doing it. What I want to do, I find myself not doing it. So he's, he's going back and forth. Then he discovers something. It ain't me, it's sin. Sin in me. It was sin. When mean was sin. And I know it's difficult for us to comprehend these things. It really is. It really is difficult for us to comprehend and understand these things. But notice what it says here, if you will. Verse 2. And he that, and he, that same Jesus himself, is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is that sacrifice. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Then if I have the ministry of reconciliation, and then I can pray and war and battle from a reconciliation perspective. And the angels of God will begin to move. The Holy Spirit will begin to move and to begin to restore because I got the foundation and understanding. Can you see how you can battle for your children now and battle for your spouse now that may be out of alignment because Jesus really is their propitiation of their sins? Jesus really is the atoning sacrifice for their sins and ours? Not only for, he says, for ours, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we begin to pray that way and war from that perspective and battle from that perspective. Then you'll begin to see this thing conquered. Now, uh, now let's, let's even go to another scripture. I'm going to show you something here that's going to help us understand. I quoted the scripture last week, and I want to go back to that same scripture, if you will, and because we quote this a lot, uh, but do we expect a manifestation? And even when we quote it, I believe that we are not looking at the whole scripture. We're just looking at part of the scripture. And so, therefore, you and I can never experience the total victory over every enemy of God, every enemy of Christ, every enemy of the Holy Spirit, every enemy of the kingdom of God, every enemy of heaven. Very familiar passage of scripture. Isaiah 54, 17. It says, but no weapon. I'm going to quote it from the King James Version. And then I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. It says, but no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No weapon. Now, what can be a weapon that can be formed against us? What's the purpose of a weapon? It's to destroy us. A weapon is designed to kill, steal, destroy purpose of a weapon. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment you shall condemn. Let's go back to weapons. For no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. What are some of the weapons that the enemy uses to kill, steal, and destroy, to stop and to block? the will of God from being done and performed in your life, in my life. What are some of the weapons? Well, what about anger? What about unforgiveness? 
What about alcoholism? What about pornography? What about poverty? So many Christians have yielded to it, and not so much poverty, but they got frustrated and aggravated because they were challenged with it and never exercised a victory over it. What about lying demons? What about weapons of complacency? Weapons of envy, strife, and jealousy? What about weapons of uh, death, destruction? What about weapons of witchcraft? Weapons of character assassination? Weapons of sickness and disease? Weapons of chaos, confusion, division, separation, divorce. All of these are weapons. He says, and no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. What weapon at this present time is formed against your spouse? What weapon at this time is formed against your children? What weapon at this time is formed against your family? Threatening to destroy your family. What weapon that is formed against your business? See, all of this must become a reality to us. These are weapons. Now, the scripture must become a reality to us. It must become a reality. Now, we are talking about certain weapons here. God said in his word, and this is written in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But the New Testament, let us know, we're up under a new and better covenant. Uh, we're up under a new and a better covenant and better promises. Better promises, better co- new covenant. So, so notice what it says, no weapon that is formed. All those things we just named against you. Oppression, depression, it's a weapon. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. This is what God said. Who said it? God. It is written, ladies and gentlemen, through the prophet of God. Wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn. Go ahead and speak to that thing that has risen up against you until I condemn you. I condemn you. What did Jesus condemn when he was on on Calvary's cross? Sin. What is the manifestation of sin? Death. Who condemned it? Jesus. How did Jesus condemn it? He condemned it, ladies and gentlemen, by him dying to it. He condemned it. He took our sins, gave us his righteousness. Now, notice what the scripture says. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. What do a judge do? A judge passes sentence. Anybody ever been to a court? He's going to pass a sentence. He's going to, he's going to give a verdict. For you or against you. For you or against you. But who is the judge of the universe? Your father, God himself, is the judge of the universe. He says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this, and this is the key. This is the key. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is the key. And their righteousness, their righteousness. Is of me, said the Lord. Now remember the definition we gave you all in the beginning? Imputed and imparted? God imputed righteousness to the children of Israel for one year. The day of atonement, when the high priest uh, took blood uh, into the Holy of the Holies and offered that blood up before the mercy seat, 
in the glory cloud field that of uh, uh, um, the Holy of Holies, which was a revelation that God had accepted the people's forgive uh, uh, the sins and forgave the people their sins. And from a Jewish perspective, ladies and gentlemen, the Day of Atonement, their sins was forgiven them for one year. They walked in the faith of that, the strength of that, the power of that. That is why the enemies could not prevail against them when their heart was right before God. The enemies could not prevail against them. And if they did sin, all they had to do is offer up a, a sin offering. Offer up a sin offering. Peace offering. And what they did, because God set the system up, then God became their peace, God became their righteousness. And they went into battle. They never lost the battle when they did it that, that, did it that way. You and I don't have to offer up a sin offering. Or a peace offering. The sin offering, the peace offering has already been offered up. It was offered up on the day uh, uh, on Calvary's cross. Not just for you and I, but for the whole world. For the whole world. And so it says, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. That is the key to that scripture, ladies and gentlemen. The enemy cannot prevail against you and I because you and I have been made righteous. And the reason the enemy do prevail against God's sons and others is because of ignorance. When you come in agreement, I'm sick, I'm poor, I'm broke, I'm busted, I'm disgusted, I'm tired of this man, I'm tired of this woman, I'm tired of these children, I'm tired of this job, out of your own mouth. Well, you're actually saying that that uh, uh, sin is prevailing. You're actually saying sin really is taking over. And you're not saying sin has been forgiven. Sin have no right here. And when you begin to understand this right here and do battle for this right here, remember now, we just finished reading in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Jesus, if any man do sin, Jesus, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus have a propitiation. He is our atoning sacrifice, the scripture says. If anybody do sin... God has made provision. And the scripture goes on to say, he did not die for our sins only, but he died for the sins of the world. Now, what about that spouse that has been under the influence of sin that don't know a sacrifice that already been made for his or her sins? What is your responsibility to intercede? But how do you intercede? How do you intercede for a spouse that is dominated by alcoholism, dominated by nicotine, dominated by anger, dominated by lust, or some generation of curse? How do you intercede for them? Did Jesus die for their sins? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mean to tell me that blood can benefit that spouse that is not have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Yes. So how? Because he died for their sin. Righteousness has been provided for him or her. And watch this right here. And this is the beauty part of it. This is the beautiful part of it. Beautiful part about it. Romans chapter seven. Uh, Paul made a very powerful statement in, in Romans chapter 7 concerning relationship. He said the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Time out. What are you saying here, preacher? The scripture clearly says the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. Sanctified, set apart. But they're in sin. And I personally believe the reason why a lot of our spouses never get set free from the dominion of sin is because you hold them in sin. We just finished reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, the latter part. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins unto them. But how in the world, if God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the sins of the world to them, but releasing them from their sins to bring them in harmony and favor with God. But you and I, that is married, instead of operating in the ministry of reconciliation with our spouse, we want to, we, we'll use, you will operate in the ministry of reconciliation, but we'll operate in it with people in our jobs, grocery store, our neighbors, but everybody in your own household. Everybody in your own household. But this is how you do spiritual warfare. Because this, you, concerning using these principles, first of all, do I believe that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto him? Yes. That means from God's perspective, your spouse has been reconciled to him through his son. He said, in his son. We just read First John. We just finished reading First John. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We just finished reading that. That if anybody sinned, they have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is their atoning sacrifice. We just finished reading that. Now, you see, we got to stop being selfish and see, oh, he's talking about me. Okay, I, if I miss it, then I can repent. Then the, the, the blood of Jesus worked for me. It works for everybody. That's how you take that, and that's what gives you and I the authority and the strength and the power to exercise the ministry of reconciliation. When are we praying? We should be praying from, a, uh, uh, from the ministry of reconciliation. When we're doing battle on the behalf of somebody, our family, our children, our spouse, we should be doing it from the ministry of reconciliation. That atoning blood, ladies and gentlemen, that atoning blood. Now watch this right here. This is how it works. This is how it works. Now, take your spouse that is an alcoholic. Take your spouse um, that, that, that has been challenged with oppression or depression. Uh, stress is a, is a big buzzword uh, in this realm, and we bring that foolishness right into the body of Christ. I'm stressed out. Christian be talking like that. And yes, you are. When you say you're stressed out, you say you're in sin. When you say you're sick, you're saying I'm in sin. When you say you're broke, you're saying you're in sin. You say, I have not been reconciled. That's one thing you're saying. I have not been reconciled. And what God was doing in Christ, it didn't, it didn't reach me. It did not reach me. God help us today. Grace us to get this thing. Now, take that spouse that is an alcoholic. Take that spouse that is a liar. Take that, that spouse um, that is full of whatever. Take that spouse. Now, this is your spouse. The Bible says that the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. The scripture says. Now, if that person is alcoholic, is alcoholism a sin? Yes, it is. Because a person is overindulging in one thing and they're not indulging in God. That becomes a crutch. That becomes a stimulus for them and not God. But I don't want to get into the 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 intimacy, the, the intricacies, excuse me, concerning alcoholism. That ain't the point. The point is, if it's not alcohol, whatever the sin is, just say, well, you use using alcoholism right now. And your husband or your wife need to, uh, is under that influence, and that they need to be broken off of them. First of all, this is what you need to understand. This is how you do spiritual warfare against them. First of all, forget about your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. You've got to look at the influence that your spouse is look, uh, uh, submitting to it. So you tell that thing. You have to speak to that thing that uh, your husband has submitted to and take, command that thing to lose. Tell that thing it have no right to your spouse. And it really don't have no right to it. You, you know, you know, you, do you understand what having a right to something means? To have a right to something means you have the authority to do a thing. And all authority has been given to Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with all authority. So alcoholism have no right to you and I. Sickness, disease have no right to you and I. Poverty have no right to you and I. Jesus conquered Satan. He conquered his cohort. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And another thing, not only that, alcoholism, ladies and gentlemen, is nothing but a fruit of the root. What's the root? The root is sin. Alcoholism is the fruit. Jesus conquered not only the fruit, but he conquered the root. He conquered sin, and he conquered death. He conquered what? Sin and death. 
the manifestation of sin is death. Jesus conquered it. So you tell that thing, you have no right to my spouse. Jesus died for the sin of my spouse. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered the fruit of sin. So I speak to the spirit of alcoholism, and I call down the judgment of God upon you. Even now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I call my spouse spirit. I call my spouse soul, heart, mind, and I call my spouse body. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus, I decree and I declare that my spouse is the purchase possession of Almighty God. You'll find that scripture in the book of Hebrews. Uh, uh, excuse me, Ephesians. My spouse is the purchased possession of Almighty God. The Father bought my spouse with his blood. The Father bought my children with his son's blood. So therefore, in the name of Jesus, my spouse's sin has been forgiven. I speak it, I decree it, and I declare it to be so. So therefore, I release right now. You got to get this right here. First, I took authority over the root of the thing, which is sin. Jesus conquered sin. Now you begin to release. I decree and declare that my spouse is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here it is again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. My spouse is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I decree and declare my children is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, gentlemen, you are not trying to make anything happen. It has already happened. You ain't trying to trick the devil. You can't trick him. You're only speaking the reality of what Jesus really accomplished on Calvary's cross. So I don't have to be begging God. I'm enforcing. I'm enforcing. I was talking to someone uh, uh, today, uh, one of my men in the church. He was talking to me about how uh, something transpired this weekend, and all of a sudden he started feeling oppressed and depressed and and, and uh, he started thinking about some of the things that I kind of shared with the case. Maybe I said, I'm going to share this with you. I said, do you un- understand? Do we get, understand this thing, ladies and gentlemen? I said, think about it. I said, what we do, we sit around, oh, you know, man, the devil is challenging me. And we don't say it out of our mouth because we know the uh, life and death and the power of the tongue, for those that do know that, life and death is the power of the tongue, so I'm not going to confess that. So I just sit around, and I just accept this oppression, this depression. I said, now, what's the purpose of being a police officer? It's to enforce the law. Now, with a police officer sitting in his car having lunch, and somebody just robbed the bank, and they see him running out of the bank with bags, uh, Oh man, somebody breaking the uh, just robbed the bank, and the police officer sitting in the car. Oh, somebody just robbed the bank, and he does nothing. That's what we do, nothing. When the devil is robbing our bank, when the devil is robbing our bank, he's robbing our robbing our robbing our health. He's robbing our relationships. He's robbing our spouses, robbing our children, robbing our destiny. We sit back. And ladies and gentlemen, and then what we do, we'll start asking God to do something. We'll ask God to do something, which he's already given you an idea of authority to do something. That just like the police officer sitting in the car, having lunch, seeing somebody robbing the bank, and he called on the microphone, listen, uh, somebody robbing the bank, can you send a squad car to uh, rob the bank? But where are you looking at? I'm right across the street, uh, or I'm parked right in front of the bank. you parked in front of the bank? You know? Yeah, but send somebody to do something. That's like, God, come do this right here. God, come come heal me. God, God do this. He said, don't, you don't get it, son. When you receive your, your, my, my son Jesus, righteousness came. And no weapon formed against you can prosper. I didn't say it won't come against you, but it won't prosper. Rise up. Take authority that you will not prosper. I am the righteousness of God. Sickness, you cannot prevail. My husband is the righteous of God. My wife is the righteous of God. So therefore, alcoholism, you cannot prevail. God has reconciled my husband in harmony and favor with him. God has reconciled my wife in harmony and favor with him. This is spiritual warfare. What am I doing? I'm enforcing what Jesus accomplished. I was telling the young man, I said, you know, this is the problem with us. We, 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 we love confessing stuff and preaching things and teaching stuff, 
but we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to execute it. And and, 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 and we come become religious. I said, it's, that's no good for Jesus dying and rising. We don't understand what the death really meant. The death and the resurrection, the death on the cross, the cross and the resurrection, everything hangs on that. Everything in this universe hangs on that. Everything on the cross and the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our victory. That's the world's victory. That's God's creation victory. And that must become a reality. And the scripture said, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper, because God made you and I righteous. He gave us righteousness. He gave you righteousness, gave me righteousness. He didn't ask me to do something to become righteous because you can't do anything. It's accepting him, the righteousness of God, and no weapon formed against me. Go ahead and begin to speak that right now. I decree and declare no weapon formed against my spirit, my soul, my heart, my mind. These bombardments that come in my mind, I speak to you right now. You cannot prevail in my mind because my mind is righteous. My mind is righteous, and I'm only going to accept righteous thoughts into this mind. I'm only going to accept righteous imaginations into this mind. I forbid the satanic, demonic, fleshly, and soulish thoughts in Jesus' name. I say not so. That's taking authority. You're telling that thing you have no right here. Because they really don't, ladies and gentlemen. Because the blood conquered it. The blood defeated it. Jesus, by dying, conquered it and defeated those negative thoughts that come to bombard our mind about ourselves, bombard our mind concerning our spouses, bombard our mind concerning our children, bombard our mind concerning our authorities. It could be our grandparents, parents, our pastor, our boss on the job, whoever they can. No! This is how this works. I didn't even notice that my time is up. Then realize it. Go back over this, if you will. When you get some time, try to have a, get an hour. Go back over this. Write the scriptures down. Write them down. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stop. Meditate. Start to play again. Stop. Meditate. When you're meditating, meditate. See how this worked for me. Don't think about it from a general perspective. How this fit for me. How does it fit for me in my marriage? How does it fit me for me as a husband or as a wife, as a, a parent with my children? How does this fit? How do this fit with me in relationship with my pastor? How does this fit, fit with me in my relationship with my boss or my job? How does this fit with me as an employer that I have people working for me? How does it fit? If I don't understand that and be able to execute it, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be manipulated you are victorious. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. Not because of what you did. It's who you received. You received a victor, a conqueror, and an overcomer. One sacrifice. One sacrifice. Christ was that sacrifice for the world. You and I have received him. Let us not waste the sacrifice by our ignorance. Let us walk in the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus. You are great. You are awesome. No, why? Not because what you have done is who you have received. You have received the great one. You have received the awesome one. You have received the all-authoritative and all-powerful one. You have received the Prince of Peace. So if you've been bombarding your mind, said, no, peace be still. Christ is my peace. I receive right now, Jesus as my peace. I command my mind to submit to the peace of God, and I command my mind to be flooded with the peace of God, and your mind got to obey you. Your body got to obey you. Christ is bigger and greater, and when you receive him, not just as a Savior, but you're receiving that for everything that you need. I receive him as my peace. I receive him as my forgiveness. When you struggle with forgiving others, Christ is the forgiveness of all sin, and I embrace Christ, and I, I forgive this person. I forgive this person what they did to me. And Jesus will stand up on the inside of you, and he will release your heart from the pain that you have experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, I am way out of time. This has been your host, Dr. E. Jimmy Kins with the Master Key. 
my prayer to God that God has ministered something to you, does a blessing to you. Meditate on what the Lord has said. Take this and run with it. Run with it. Well, until tomorrow, tell someone about the program, uh, the broadcast. Uh, we're uh, embarking upon the last Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the, of, of the month. So join us uh, in our prayer line, the last Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, you can go to our website, ejmpcc.com, and uh, get the info concerning the uh, uh, prayer line, the number, the code. Join us 530. We're looking for people all over the nation. So got people, friends, family and friends in other parts of the nation. Call them up and join with us and let God advance the kingdom of God through us. God bless you. Let the rest of you eat and be blessed. Once again, this has been your host, Dr. Jimmy Kiss of the Master Key. God bless you. Yes, sir. Um, hi, sweetie. Uh, Sister Brady called me and said, Sister Taylor told her about the meeting tonight. She wanted to know if she should be on the line. Well, if she's available. Okay, then. I'll call her back. All right. Okay, bye.